today after the service. There are no evening activities or choir practice um, following the service today. Let's open our service with a word of prayer this morning. Gracious Father, we are so thankful for what today represents. We are so thankful for the victory that we have in Jesus, our Savior forever. Lord, we ask that you this morning would speak to our hearts, to our souls. Lord, that we may see more of you today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would turn with me in your hymnals to hymn number 163, Christ the Lord is risen today, it will also be on the screen behind me. Christ the Lord is risen today, Alleluia. Son of men and angels sing, Alleluia. Raise your joys and triumphs high, that you would all stand, except for the choir, they have to remain seated for the words, but if you'd stand as we sing the final verse this morning, soar we now where Christ has led, alleluia. Oh, 
shone to him who sits on heaven's mercy seat.
Almighty. Let's take a few moments to stand up, step out, turn around, shake a hand, welcome those around you to our service this morning.
this morning.
Oh 
Well, 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 here we are, Easter Sunday, once again, what a great day God has given to us. Uh, we do want to come before God in prayer this morning, and uh, there are a few folks that um, I would like to mention. Keep Linda Williams in prayer. Uh, good to have Craig with us this morning. Uh, Linda, a couple weeks ago, went in uh, because of an infection, and she actually remains in the hospital uh, even this morning. Uh, so keep her in prayer, um, recovering from a very serious infection uh, that they appear to have under control, uh, but just not quite ready to get home yet. So uh, please keep Linda in prayer. And then I also have a thank you note from Gary Schultz. Uh, as you know, he had gallbladder surgery a few weeks ago, and he says this to you folks, uh, in God's providence and by his express will, he granted me an exceptional operation, recovery, and very little discomfort. I cannot explain to you why. Your prayers were as treasures to me, as the Lord heard and quickly responded. Thank you for the cards, the calls, and the wishes. I'm not sure about the good luck. In quotes. For all of those that prayed for me, these excellent results do not go unnoticed. If I should find myself in a situation of need... I would like to enlist the same people. So please remain on standby as your prayers worked for me. It's been great, really. Praise God, keep praying, Gary Schultz. So Gary, good to have you uh, back and up and well. Um, continue to pray for the others listed on our sheet. Good to see Dorothea with us this morning. Always good to see her. Uh, she's been battling with a number of things over the last few weeks and even months, I suppose. So, Father, as we come before your throne, we thank you once again that we can come and bring to you our petitions. But, Father, before we do, we want to praise you as we've sung. Praise your name. For, Father, it is a name which is above every name. And someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Father, we have come this day because of Jesus, because he died, because he was buried. And Father, today we celebrate the third day when he rose from the grave. Father, apart from the resurrection, there would be no hope. Apart from the resurrection, Christianity collapses. But Father, the Bible is quite clear when it states that Christ is risen indeed. And so, Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for the hope that you've given to us as your children, as your people, as your church. The great hope of knowing that because he lives, Father, we will live also. We do thank you, Lord, for answering prayer on behalf of uh, our folks. Uh, Father, we know that uh, you have many, many times, you have answered prayer and you, Lord, have touched bodies and you have healed and you have brought recovery. We thank you that you have raised up Gary this morning and Dorothea, who is able to be here. Father, we do pray for Linda Williams. We do ask, Lord, that you might touch her so that she might be able to come home very soon. Lord, it's been a long road for her. 
And so we pray that, Lord, you would help her soon to be able to get home to familiar surroundings. But, Father, we are thankful this morning. We're thankful for your great love for us. For it was only because of your love that Jesus went to the cross to die. And so, Father, our prayer this morning is that if, if there's one here that is not sure about their relationship with you, that today might be that day when they hear the good news, understand it, believe that they have fallen short of your glory, and trust Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. Lord, that is good news, that sinners can be saved by grace and through faith. And so we thank you this morning for the wonderful time you've given us. Move by your Spirit among us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your hymn book and turn to hymn number 165, Lo, in the grave he lay. We're going to sing this in two different tempos. If you notice in the stanzas, Jesus is still in the grave. It's a sad occasion. But when we get to the refrain, up from the grave he arose, then we're going to step up the tempo because we're in celebration. So 165, low in the grave he lay. <laughs> Oh, 
God's people said, Amen. We typically have uh, the Lord's Supper, uh, the first Sunday of uh, the quarter. But we thought that um, this month in April, uh, we would have the Lord's table today. We thought, what a better Sunday to celebrate uh, Jesus than on Easter. And so we have um, a time this morning set aside to be able to come to this table, uh, to be able to eat bread and drink the cup, uh, showing the Lord's death until he comes. Now let me just explain to you um, how this works and what the Lord's Supper is all about. We believe that Jesus died. We believe, believe that he died on the old rugged cross. And the bread that's going to be passed in a few moments represents that broken body. Uh, the bread cubes have been broken to represent that wounded, broken body that died on the cross. But we also have grape juice in little cups. And in a few moments, the men will pass to you those cups. That juice represents the blood of Jesus. The Bible says that when Jesus died, his blood spilt on the ground. And through the shedding of his blood, there is the remission of sins. That is the forgiveness of sins. And so as we eat this bread, the Bible said, remember Jesus. As we drink the cup, the Bible says, remember Jesus. This is a time to remember him. This is a memorial service, if you will. And so those of you who have trusted Christ, you, you know him. You know that you have brought, asked Jesus to come into your life and to save you from your sins. We invite you to join us this morning. Please hold the bread and hold the cup until everyone has been served and the men come back to the front and then we'll eat the bread and we'll drink the cup and we'll do it together. We'll do it together, representing that we are one body of Christ. So with that being said, I'll ask that the men now come and join me. by passing out the bread and as I said please hold the bread until everyone has been served and then we'll uh, we'll eat together father we are indeed grateful for the love that you've shown us, a love, Lord, that moved Jesus to go to the cross and lay down his life for us. Father, what an amazing grace, an amazing love that is demonstrated in that cross. So now, Father, as we come together, we come to remember what Jesus did for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
bread it represents the body of Jesus let's eat together
blood of course, or the cup of course represents the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus that has been shed for the forgiveness of sins. And so, Father, again, we thank you because we know that without this blood, Lord, there would be no forgiveness of sins. But because Jesus shed his blood, we now can be cleansed from all unrighteousness. For that we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. away my sin nothing but the blood of Jesus what can make me whole again nothing but the blood of Jesus oh precious is the blow that makes me
God of Jesus, nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood of He took the cup and said, drink ye all of it. Let's drink together. And so, Father, once again, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for saving us, giving us new life. Uh, Lord, we are your people. Help us, Lord, to walk very closely with you. Continue to use our time together. Lord, this is your time. May Jesus Christ be praised. In Jesus' name, amen. As the men are making their way to the pews, would you stand with me? And take your hymn book, turn to hymn number 158, We Serve a Risen Savior. I serve a risen Savior, He's in the world today. I know that He is living, whatever men may say. I see His hand of mercy, hear His voice of cheer. And just the time I need Him, He's always near. He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me, life's narrow way. He lives, He lives, salvation to impart. You ask me, why no, He lives. He lives within my heart. In all the world around me, it's loving care. Though my heart grows weary, never will despair i know that he is leading though all the stormy blast the day of his appearing will come at <coughs> he lives he lives christ jesus lives today he walks with me along life's narrow way he lives he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He 
rejoice, rejoice, O Christian, up your voice and sing. Turn, O hallelujahs, the hope of all who seek, the help of all who find. None other is so loving, so good and kind. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me, talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, <coughs> salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Thank you. You may be seated. I suppose that uh, many of you have played that game, uh, Jenga. You know, that um, game with little rectangular blocks, and you start out with a tower that is so high, and then one by one you take a block and you pull it out of that tower, hoping that you're not the one that takes out that block when everything collapses on the table. Now, this morning is Easter. And one of the essential pieces that holds the structure of Christianity together is the resurrection of Jesus. You take away the resurrection and all of Christianity collapses. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he said, if there is no resurrection, then there really is no gospel. If there is no resurrection, then there is no hope. If there is no resurrection, then we as Christians, we are of all people most miserable. But there is indeed a resurrection. But there were some in the early church and in the Corinthian church that were saying, but there is no resurrection. And so Paul, he writes an entire chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He writes an entire chapter to correct the false notion that there is no resurrection. And Jesus never came back to life. And so I would invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to read the entire chapter except for 10 verses right in the middle. It's a long chapter, so hold on to your seat. But I think it's important that we read this chapter and understand what Paul is saying. This is the great resurrection chapter. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to what the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins 
according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am who I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, and yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, they're lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn... Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Now, jump down to verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed perhaps of wheat or of something else, but God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals, they have another. Birds, another. And fish, another. There are also heavenly bodies. And there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind. And the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. 
If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, he became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have been born the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Now I declare to you, brothers and sisters, the flesh, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. Now, when the perishable has been clothed, clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this revelation that Christ indeed is alive. And we too, Lord, someday will be changed to be like him. Guide us through these next few moments, to understand what Paul has written in this wonderful chapter. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul begins by laying out the fact of Christ's resurrection. As he begins this chapter, he wants everyone to know for sure that Jesus came back to life. And the way he does that in these opening verses is he lists eyewitnesses. He lists eyewitnesses, those who have seen Jesus after his death. He mentions individuals, he mentions small groups, and he mentions multitudes. Cephas and James, he showed himself to them one at a time. He comes to the apostles, 12 of them, and they see him in his resurrected body. And then it says that over 500 he appeared to at one time. And many of those are even alive as I write this letter. I was up at the Polk 
assisted center. Uh, a few weeks ago, I'm on a rotation, and every Thursday afternoon at 1.30, uh, they have a chapel. And so I go, and I, uh, we sing a few songs, and then I share a few words from the scriptures. And I said to them back then, I, I said, you know, Easter came early this year for you. Because I'm going, to talk, I'm going to talk about the resurrection. I know it's not Easter yet, but I'm going to talk about the resurrection. And I'm going to talk about a perfect body. Well, there's a lot of folks there that are in wheelchairs. A lot of folks who don't hear very well. And when you talk about a new body, a perfected body, you know, they're all ears and all eyes. But I used this illustration when I came to this passage of eyewitnesses. I said, now listen, um, this morning I was fishing and I caught a huge 25-inch bass. How many of you believe me? <laughs> well, they didn't know me that well, like you do. You probably think I'm lying. And I was, if I would have said that. But I said, how many of you believe me? Well, they didn't know what to say, but I said, what if I had brought someone with me? Someone who was standing there right along the bank, and he saw me catch this fish. That makes a difference, doesn't it? It makes a difference if you're in an accident and there is an eyewitness. What Paul is saying here is that there were individuals, there were small groups, there was a multitude of people and they were eyewitnesses to the fact that Jesus was alive. They saw him in his resurrected body. Now, you saw him too. Maybe not literally, but through the eyes of faith, you trusted Christ. And God opened your, opened your blind eyes. And you heard the gospel. And you were drawn to Jesus and asked him to forgive you of your sins. You know, the Bible says that it's a powerful witness to be able to say, I know Jesus. I know the resurrected Lord. It's as the song goes, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. What a powerful testimony that we have. And what a powerful testimony of these who actually saw our living Lord. But then he says in verse 12, what if it wasn't true? What if for some reason this thought that Jesus is alive, it's really, it's just not true. He says in verse 12, he says, but what, what if... But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection? See, there were some saying that. There were some that were saying there is no resurrection. But then he goes down to verse 14 and he says, and if Christ has not been raised, and then he begins to list consequences. What would be the result? What would be the consequence if Jesus did not come back to life? And, first of all, he says, our preaching is useless. Now that hits home. <laughs> what if 30 plus years of preaching 
What if everything I have been saying over all of these years, what if it's all useless? My sermons are empty with a hopeless message. And yet if Christ is not alive today, my preaching is useless. But then I started to think about Sunday school teachers, Awana leaders. I thought about the Gideons who pass out faithfully the word of God. What if Christ had not been raised from the dead? The waste of time of these men who try to get Bibles into the hands of people. What about our missionaries? Our missionaries who go different places in the world and preach the good news of Jesus. That all would be a waste of time had Jesus not come back to life. But there's another consequence. He says our faith would be worthless. Our faith in Jesus would be worthless. You believed in a dead man who can't take away sins and give you new life. You would not be this morning a new creation. You would not be a transformed saint if Christ had not come back to life. And everyone who preaches, Paul says, and everyone who shared their faith witnesses you're all liars. You're all imposters making false claims. And he goes on to say we're still on our sins. We spoke this morning about the blood of Jesus cleansing us from all unrighteousness. Well, that's true, but only because Jesus is alive. If Jesus were not alive, we would still be in our sins and we would be lost. For the Bible says the wages of sin is death. We would be condemned. And that wonderful verse that we learned as children, for God he so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. But if Jesus is dead today, we would all perish. And Paul says, we are of all men most pathetic. Because we believe in hope. But if Jesus is not alive, we're believing in a false hope. And we as Christians are of all men most to be pitied. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. My hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me. But if he's not alive today, we have no hope. But, Paul says in verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. You see, Paul wants us to make no mistake about it. He's trying to correct a problem in this church. Some who are saying, no, there's no resurrection. No, Jesus didn't come back to life. Paul says, but indeed he did. And not only that, but he goes on to say in verse 20, he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits. In other words, he's the first one, and we will follow. Because he lives, so we will live also. So then you jump all the way down to verse 35, and it says, but someone's going to ask the question, how are the dead raised? 
You know, I hear that a lot at funerals. <laughs> How is God going to bring back this one who has been lowered into the ground? The Bible says dust to dust and ashes to ashes. How is God going to bring that body back to life? Or someone who's been cremated. How does God do that? Well, how are the dead going to be raised? And he says in verse 35, with, with what kind of body will they come? The third point is the nature of the resurrected body. What Paul does then is he uses analogies. He likens the resurrection body to things in nature. He uses, for example, seeds. He uses different kinds of flesh, the flesh of animals and birds and fish. He also uses the bodies in the heavens, the heavenly bodies. Now, we're not going to look at the flesh or the heavenly bodies, those analogies, but let's look at the seeds. Some of you are gardeners, and this is the time of the year when you put those little seeds down into the ground and up come these beautiful flowers or, or vegetables in your garden. Look at verse 42. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. Now listen. He says, the body that is sown, just like a seed is sown, the body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Here's your perfect body right here in a nutshell. And Paul says over again in verse 35, after the questions are raised, how are the dead raised and what kind of bodies is how foolish how foolish look at nature nature testifies that life can and life does come from death the seed must die in order for it to begin to grow into a plant the seed must die nature testifies that life comes from death and if the seeds that are dead and they're buried down into the ground if they are given new bodies if you will by God should we not expect that when we die we will receive new bodies as well you see death is not the enemy to resurrection death is the channel of resurrection and so, what kind of bodies are they? Well, I like to think of Jesus. Uh, you know, when you look at Jesus, we, we can see his resurrected body. And we look at Jesus and we see some of the same things that we saw in his life before he died. But a lot of different things. For example, what are the same things we see? Well, Jesus showed people his hands and feet, right? Remember Thomas, Downey Thomas? And Jesus showed him the nail prints that were still in his hands. The Bible says that after Jesus was resurrected, he ate. He ate with his disciples. He ate broiled fish. We also know that after Jesus came back to life, uh, they were able to grab hold of his, 
ankles, his feet. And not only that, but they recognized him as Jesus. There were some similarities to the body Jesus had before he died and the body he had after he died. And the reason I say that is this. We often think of us in heaven as being ghostly. Right? We often think of, of, of heaven as being some place and our bodies are, are, are just kind of vapor or something. But Jesus had a human body. But we also look at Jesus after he came back to life and we see that he passed through solid walls. That's a little different, isn't it? <laughs> we, we see Jesus as he stood on the mount and he ascended up into heaven. How quickly he was able to travel. Now what I'm saying is this resurrected body, there's the same but differences taking place. But as I read here, even though it's a real human body, it's a wholly perfected and glorified body. That's why Paul uses these words like imperishable, which means there will be no more death. There will be no more disease. There'll be no more dying. This is the last body we will ever get. It is a glorious body, perfect and holy, sinless in all its ways. Paul uses the word powerful. No more growing tired. This body doesn't get weak. It doesn't wear out. And he also says it's a spiritual body. That doesn't mean non-material. It means that this body is fit to live with God throughout all eternity. There are some similarities, but there are great differences. A perfect, perfect body. I don't know about you, but that's kind of exciting <laughs> to think that the body you're looking at now is not what it will be someday. I was reading a story about a lady who uh, was only given three months to live, and um, she decided to call her pastor and, and uh, work through the arrangements for her funeral. I've had few of you folks, not you folks here, but um, I've had a few over the years that have sat down and said, listen, I, I want to share with you the scripture I would like read, and here are the hymns that I would like sung. And um, so this lady sits down with a pastor and shares the hymns she would like sung, and she shared the scripture she would like read, but then she said something unusual. She said, and I want to be buried with a spoon and a fork in my hand. Well, the pastor, he understood the sharing of the hymns and the scripture, but she, he said, now you're going to have to explain this one to me. She said, well, you know, at my age, I have been to so many potlucks in the church. I have been to so many meals and luncheons. And I have discovered over all of these years that after the main course has been served, I have learned to always keep my fork and spoon because the best is yet to come. Because there's always a homemade piece of apple pie. 
of a velvety, velvety chocolate cake. And she said, when I'm laying there in my casket, and I have a spoon in one hand and a fork in the other, and someone asks why, you tell them the best is yet to come. You see, death is just the channel through which resurrection comes. And the body that Paul describes here is hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine no more death, no more dying. It's hard to imagine no more decay, no more pain, no more sorrow. It's hard to imagine a body that is sinless and holy and perfect. It's hard to imagine a body in which we never grow weary. But this is the body Paul describes. The last point is this. It's the necessity of this kind of body. It's the necessity of a changed body. Down in verse 50, Paul says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. When he speaks of flesh and blood here, it stands for the perishable, the corrupt, the weak, the sinful. That cannot inherit God's kingdom. The bodies you live in today cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You must be changed. And the Bible says we will be. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, we will be changed. But you know, in order for that change to take place at some point in the future, in order for you to receive this body that Paul has described, the Bible says that the change needs to, be ta- t- needs to take place first here in this body. That's why Paul, at the very beginning of this chapter, he says in verse 2, he says, by this gospel you are saved. By this gospel. What gospel? Well, we read about this gospel. The heart of the gospel is found right here in these opening verses. That Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. Which means that he didn't die for his own sins. That Jesus was a sinless man who knew no sin, but became sin for us. He was buried. Confirmation that he really did die. And he was raised the third day, according to the scriptures. Raised, proof of who he was. And that all that he said about himself was also true. Now, Paul says, it's by this gospel you are saved. You see, the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That change that takes place when you trust Christ is a change that is necessary in order for when you die, this change of a new body to take place. This perfect body is not for everyone, but for those who have made a decision for Jesus today. Then we have great hope. We have the hope of receiving someday this new body. See, the Bible says we need to acknowledge our sins. 
that we have fallen short of the glory of God. We're not what God intended for us to be. We have lied, we have stolen, we have cheated. And the Bible calls that sin. And because of sin, the Bible says we die. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we trust Christ. We trust in his death. That on the cross, he died for us. He died for me. And I believe that. And I trust that you believe that as well. Because it's belief in Jesus that brings about this great change that takes place in this life. So that the great change can take place later. We have out in the bulletin, or out in the foyer, we have a few little booklets. And one is about Easter. It explains a little bit about Easter and what it's all about. If you have questions about your own salvation, uh, whether you believe and trusted in Jesus or not, I would invite you to pick up one of those little booklets and read it and study it. And If you have any questions, call me. I would love to talk with you. But see, the Bible says that we need to acknowledge our sin and trust Jesus to forgive us. You can say that any way you want to in your own words. But if you trust Christ, the Bible says you're changed forever. You're changed forever. You know, for the Christian, death is not final. Death is not final. It's just the beginning. Because for the Christian, the best is yet to come. The choir is going to come and they're going to close the service with another song. They're going to come as I pray. Father, I thank you this morning. I thank you, Father, for the fact that Jesus is alive. And Father, because of that, we too someday will live. Father, I pray that if there is someone here this morning who has never put their faith in your Son, that this might be the day that they might acknowledge their sin and believe that Jesus is the only way to save them from that sin. Father, the greatest need today of mankind is the forgiveness of sins, to come into that right relationship with you. So I pray now that your Spirit, as he's working in each heart, might continue to work until each is drawn to your Son. For by grace are we saved through faith. Father, draw people today to a saving knowledge of yourself. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Stand together. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you so much and trust that you were honored and glorified in all that we have done and said. You are a great and awesome God. And Father, we know that you are sitting on your throne, glorified. Father, I pray once again that you might continue to work in each heart here to bring each one to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Great are you, Lord. Good morning, Sue. Good to see you. Hey, Charlie, how are you? The chairs are set up, huh? Great glory.